exaltation of that song. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1, where we come to our theme for today in this text of the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. Can you recall your first experience with death? As a child, perhaps? I can well remember mine as a child. It left me with a lot of questions, including what does it mean to die? The Bible in James chapter 2 gives us a definition of death. In verse 26 of that chapter, it says, The body without the spirit is dead. So what is death, physical death? It is the separation of the immaterial part of a person from the material part. It does not mean that that person no longer exists, but there is rather a separation of the material from the immaterial. The body without the spirit is dead. And it is signified in the physical brain by the absence of activity that can be in some way measured there. It is signified by a lack of response in the body to stimuli. There is another kind of death which the Bible tells us about called spiritual death. It too is separation. It is spiritual separation from God, the creator and the source of all life. It is a separation that is the result of sin in the hearts of human beings. It is quite possible for one to be physically alive and yet to be spiritually dead or separated from God. Spiritual death, like physical death, is recognized by lack of response A lack of a positive response toward God, giving him glory and honor. It is characterized by an active or passive rebellion against God. And a search, howbeit in the wrong direction, for spiritual satisfaction. Just as physical death can be observed so may spiritual death. One of God's good gifts to us who trust Jesus Christ is the gift of regeneration. By regeneration, God gives us life in Jesus Christ so that we are no longer dead toward him, but rather alive. And our yearning and search for spiritual completion is over because of regeneration. Beginning this verse, much like the Apostle Paul begins Ephesians, Peter says, Blessed be God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And five important words By his abundant mercy, he has done that. Not because we have deserved it, 
but because he is a merciful God. What does it mean to be born again or to be regenerated? The Greek word regeneration is found actually only two times in the New Testament. It is found once in Matthew chapter 19 verse 28 where it is used in conjunction with the world, the physical world in the time of the Messiah. There is a sense in which the world will experience a new birth, a regeneration in that day when the Messiah comes again. It is used in a spiritual sense, as we're thinking of it this morning, however, in Titus 3 and verse 5, where the apostle writes of the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Dr. Millard Erickson, who teaches at Bethel Seminary up the road, says regarding regeneration, it is the communication of divine life to the soul as the impartation of a new nature or heart and the production of a new creation. In other words, regeneration is very simply God imparting new life to a person. It's not exactly the same as resurrection, but it's similar to that. A better analogy would be birth. As we are born once into the physical world, so we have need of and can experience a second birth, a supernatural birth or regeneration. It is the granting of new life by God in the Spirit. Jesus talked about it in John 3 when he spoke with Nicodemus. He said, you must be born from above. And went on to tell him uh, that he must be born of the Spirit as well as of the flesh. Peter here in our text speaks of it as being born again. And again in verse 23 of this first chapter, he speaks of us being born again by an incorruptible seed, he says, even the word of God. One of the professors that I had in Bible school was Dr. Charles Horn. Dr. Horn was uh, a gifted intellect, so gifted that I only took him for one course, I was afraid I might flunk out. Dr. Horn taught theology. God took him home in an early death from cancer. But Dr. Horn, in his writings, left behind a little chart that summarizes the contrast between the first birth and the second birth. I'd like to just give that to you quickly. The contrast between the first birth and the second birth. In the first place, there's a contrast of origin. The first birth originated with parents, human parents, our mothers and fathers. The second birth originates with God. It is he who caused us to be born again according to his abundant mercy. There is the contrast, secondly, of means. The first birth came through a corruptible seed. The second birth comes through an incorruptible seed. 
the Word of God that lives and abides forever. A third contrast is in the nature of it. The first birth was of the flesh, physical, carnal. The second birth, however, is of the Spirit, capital S, and is a spiritual life. There's a contrast, fourthly, in the realm of existence. The first birth brought me into the realm of Satan's slavery. But the second birth brings me into the realm of Christ's freedom, so that I am no longer a slave of Satan, but I am Christ's free man. And finally, there is the contrast of position before God. The first birth caused me to be an object of divine wrath because of my sin. But the second birth causes me to be an object of divine love. And upon these objects of divine love, God will throughout eternity continue to show his kindness through Jesus Christ. As someone has said, it is possible to be born once only, but you will die twice. Die physically and die spiritually in hell forever. Or it is possible to be born twice and thus only have to die once, and that's physically. For the new birth delivers us from death. We have already passed from death into life when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Regeneration or the giving of this life is solely the work of God. There is nothing that you and I can do to merit it. He instantaneously gives it to us, gives life to us as an act of divine grace. Chronologically, this act of giving us life occurs at the same instant that we place our faith in Christ. Being born again and believing on Christ are two different things. They're distinct from each other, but they occur simultaneously. But on the other hand, logically speaking, logically speaking, regeneration has to come before faith. Why is that? Because the heart that is dead in trespasses and sins cannot respond to God until it is given life. And so logically speaking, God gives us life in Jesus Christ, and as a result of that spark of life, we believe in the Son of God and the saving of our souls. Apart from the bestowing of this life, the dead and sinful heart of the sinner would not and could not respond to the command to believe in Jesus Christ. And so you see it is completely a work of God's grace. There is nothing that we do to merit or earn it. We do not initiate it. It is God who causes us to be born again, to be regenerated to this living hope that we have in Christ. Well, that's the meaning of regeneration, this good gift of God. But I want to move ahead this morning to talk more about the implications of regeneration. 
Because when you and I understand what this gift is from God, it doesn't leave us the same. It makes us to understand a new sense of destiny, a new sense of hope and purpose, a new sense of responsibility. Those who have been regenerated are Christians. Christians thus have a new life and a new nature. By the word nature, I'm talking about who we essentially are, our essential being. Because we have been born again, we have new life. We have a new nature. Thus, we are commanded to put on the new man, which after God, or in the likeness of God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 If any man be in Christ, old things have passed away in one act. They're done. The old is gone. And all things have become new. We are new creatures with new life, a new nature. Before we were saved, we had a sinful nature which was inherited from Adam. But now that we have trusted in Jesus Christ, having been regenerated, we have a holy nature which is given to us through Christ. Regeneration, you see, initiates transformation. The two cannot be separated. Regeneration initiates transformation. The story is told of an English clergyman who was visiting a century ago in the South Sea Islands in a mission field. He was very impressed by the spiritual concern of the students, by the art that decorated their buildings, even by their personal hygiene, which was in such sharp contrast to the culture on that island. The highlight of the trip, however, for him occurred as he was getting back on his ship to return to England. The girls from the school lined up in two rows, and as he walked on the ship, they enthusiastically sang, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. The clergyman was deeply touched as he heard these words and saw the evidence in their lives. And then one of the mission leaders whispered in his ear, I want you to know that every one of those girls singing out there is either the daughter or the granddaughter of a cannibal. You see, regeneration brings transformation, a new nature, a new life. What does that involve? Well, at least three things. It involves a mind to know God, a heart to love God, and a will to obey God. One who has not been born again has none of those things. Only one who has received new life from Jesus Christ has a new nature, a new life which involves a mind to know God, a heart to love God, and a will to obey God.
Now, it's not that Christians don't struggle with sin, because all of us know better than that. We have a new nature and a new life, but we still face temptation. We still struggle with sin that dwells in our mortal beings. Paul writes about it very transparently in Romans chapter 7. Even he, the great apostle, struggled with sin inside of himself as a new creature in Christ. He says, where is the victory? And then he says, it is through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, he goes on to talk more about it, living in the life of the Spirit. Christians struggle with sin. Christians have a fight with Satan. Christians face the snares of the world around us. But Christians are different because we've been given a new life and a new nature. It is said that the great St. Augustine, when he was still without God and without hope, a pagan, was convicted of his sin by Paul's words in Romans 13 and 14, where he says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Augustine was a man who was consumed with his lusts. It was that verse that God caused to be planted in his heart as an incorruptible seed. And it brought forth new life. And Augustine believed in Jesus Christ and received new life and a new nature. Sometime later... In his work, he was caused to go back to the old haunts in Rome where he had lived before and carried out his activity before. And as he walked along the road, a former companion saw him and said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he turned to look and there was a woman of disrepute that he had in fact known before and whose company he had enjoyed. A shudder went through his body as he looked at her. And reminding himself of his new position in Jesus Christ, he turned and ran and shouted over his shoulder, It is not I! It is not I! What did he mean by that? Was he denying that it was Augustine? No. But it wasn't the same Augustine that she had known. That's what the Apostle means in Galatians when he says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, the old I. Augustine recognized that he was a new man, a new creature in Jesus Christ. Some of us would do well to practice what Augustine did, to flee temptation, shouting over our shoulders, it is no longer the old I. I'm a new person. None of us is perfect. Thank God that he understands and is quite aware of the fact that we are in a process in this world. The truth is that every one of us 
Every one of us this morning is in a battle. A battle with sin, with Satan, with the world. And there are times that we walk in victory and there are other times when we, we are defeated. But the fact is that in Jesus Christ, we are new creatures. And when we are defeated, because of our newness, we confess our sins. And we get up and we walk on in the direction that God is leading. Now that brings me to a second implication of regeneration. The first is that as Christians we have a new nature, a new life. But the second is that we also have a new destiny. Peter speaks of it here in our text when he says that we are born again to a living hope, which he describes as an inheritance that we've obtained. An inheritance that is being reserved in heaven for us. What does he mean? Well, he has more in mind than our reward for our service. That may be part of it. But what he really has in mind here is the final culmination of our salvation. That final step of glory when we will be transformed into the very likeness of Christ in every respect. That is being reserved for us who are being shielded, I think is how the text read this morning as it was read earlier in the service, and I like that. Who are being shielded by the power of God until that day that we arrive home to receive that inheritance. We have a new destiny. Before our destiny was hell, the destiny of all those who are separated from God and who have never been born from above. But having been born again or regenerated by the grace and mercy of God, we have a new destiny. The destiny of heaven, eternal life, and being like Christ. I hope that's a destiny that you share with us this morning. But a third implication must be addressed. It's the implication that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I invite you to turn to that text with me, where the Apostle speaks of us as new creatures in Christ. And he goes ahead immediately to tell us the implications of that. Christians have a new life in nature. Christians have a new destiny. And Christians have a new mission in the world. We have been given a purpose that is almost unbelievable if God himself hadn't said it. Verse 17 is the verse that speaks of our newness. And then he goes on to say, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's as though God were entreating through us. And so he writes to the Corinthians, We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you today that that is our mission in the world right there. 
We have been regenerated as a people for God, that we might be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ in our world. That we might stand in the place, as it were, of Christ himself, begging men and women around us to come to God, to be reconciled to God. For he was in Christ when Christ died for our sins. And reconciliation to him is possible. And you and I have that word, that message to declare to others. What a wonderful thing God has done for us in causing us to be born again. What a gift this is for ourselves to have new life, to have a new nature, to have a hope that is alive because of Christ's resurrection. To have a mission and a purpose in this world that goes beyond the time card that we punch on Mondays. That goes beyond the things that we schedule to do in our routines of life. A mission that invades every day of our lives, every place that we go, everything that we do. A mission that calls for fulfillment. A mission to speak to others about Christ. We no longer may live for ourselves. We must live for our Savior as his ambassadors. If you're a child of God, I hope today you will thank God for this gift, which has transformed who you are, where you're going, what you're doing in the world. But may I ask, are you a child of God? Have you experienced this birth from above that we've talked about? George Whitfield, great preacher, revivalist of another century, at the age of 16, became deeply convicted of his sin. So he tried everything he could think of as a young teenager to erase his sin. He himself wrote about those days. He said, I fasted for 36 hours twice a week. That's how serious he was. I prayed formal prayers several times a day and almost starved myself to death during Lent, but only felt more miserable. Then, by God's grace, I met Charles Wesley, who put a book in my hand which showed me from the scriptures that I must be born again or be eternally lost. God's work came to culmination in his heart, and believing those words in John chapter 3, Whitfield was born again. And during his ministry, at least a thousand times, he preached on that text, Ye must be born again. Dear friend, you must be born again, whoever you are. By our natural birth, we are born into sin and spiritual death, which is separation from God. By the new birth, we are born into a relationship with God, which will last for all of eternity. And if you are a child of God and you've experienced that new birth, how do you think that that gift from God is going to affect you this week?
Will it make you more compassionate for sinners? Sometimes we get so upset with sinners because they sin. What do we expect sinners to do? How do you expect your boss, who's not a Christian, to treat you? How do you expect that neighbor to live? Will it make you more compassionate with sinners to recognize that they're in spiritual death and separated from God? Will it give you more compassion for them to witness to them? I hope it will. And I hope that you will ask God to use you this week to be an implanter of incorruptible seed in the hearts of other people that by the work of the Spirit through that seed that you would plant someone else might be born again to new life in Christ. That's our mission. Let's go after it this week. Let's bow our heads and would you stand with me please? As we close the service, would you say in your heart, God, I would be an ambassador of the good news. Lord, bring across my path this week people that need and are prepared for the word of reconciliation. Would you pray that just where you are in your heart? And then ask God to give you the courage to speak that word, to plant that word of testimony, that word from God. Father, I pray that we will be good ambassadors of Jesus Christ, standing in his place in the offices and the homes and the marketplaces where we do our business as ambassadors of this wonderful gospel, may we share it with others who also need to be born again. God, give us compassion as people who are the objects of mercy for those who are still in spiritual death. May we walk this week in the joy of our life in Christ and in the victory that that life brings us in him. Let's sing together this chorus as our closing prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Amen. Be about the kingdom's work this week, ambassadors of God. Amen.